All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and I don't know if it was said earlier or not, but Scott and Carol, they're on vacation. Um, right now, we appreciate Willie I'm filling in and, and leading for us in, in that place and the whole praise team. Um, but we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're thankful for Scott and Carol to just to get away and get some rest and um, enjoy each other. So there, there are certain things um, that just really don't go well together, right? Like, like pancakes and mustard. Okay, or uh, um, squash in anything. I know, you, I know some of you disagree on that, but there are certain things that just really don't go together, um, like, like me and any type of skiing, okay? Like, like skiing is just not my thing, and, and so I tried water skiing one time, and, um, and so I, I, I should have known it was, was going to be a bad day because I walked out of the house, and, and I hadn't even taken 10 steps, and I get stung on the neck um, by, a, by a hornet or a yellow jacket or something, and so we... I think, okay, we'll get to the water. And so we get to the water, and we've got a, a ski boat and a jet ski, and the jet ski is not starting, so we're going to jump it off of the boat. Okay, and so we've got the cables hooked up and everything. We jump it. Everything starts out fine. I reach down to pull the cables off, and the, it was missing the, the rubber grips. And so, like, I burn my hand, and, like, there's these huge blisters on my hand. We hadn't even gotten to the water yet. Okay? And so... Um, I have a hurt hand, a hurt neck, and I'm trying to ski for my very first time. And I, after hitting the water about 60 times, um, which, by the way, water is not that soft when you're, when you're going pretty fast, um, I figured out water skiing wasn't for me. So I thought a few years later, I'll, just, I'll try snow skiing, okay? And so we go, and we're in Colorado, and we're snow skiing. Randy and I had went. We had taken um, some from our church, um, a, a, a trip with our church, and so we're skiing, and, and you know I'm not, not doing too well, but the last day I'm doing, doing all right. And um, we get in the car to go home, and um, we're driving home. We're going through, I think it was Monarch Pass. Um, we, we went up the mountain, and, and everything was fine. It was snow and snow-packed. Um, and we start to go down the hill, and you know we got it in low gear. We're just kind of cruising along, snow-packed roads with a trailer behind us. I'm pulling on the 15-passenger van, um, and... and Cars are just flying. They drive crazy in Colorado, in the snow and everything. They're just flying by me and, and everything. And so um, we, we, we get to the point where I, I can see something coming up in my rearview mirror, and I'm thinking, okay, here comes another crazy car. It wasn't the car. It was the trailer that was still hooked to my van that was coming up beside us. And all of a sudden, we're doing this 360, just spinning out of control, which is probably the most five, the, the, the worst, most terrorizing five seconds of my life. As we're spinning across um, into on oncoming traffic, um, two-lane roads going through these mountains, and, and we land in this snowbank facing the opposite way that we're supposed to go. I mean, just completely out of control. And we look around, and it seems like God has lost control. Right? Like, like there's just this increased um, sinfulness seems to be like this increased wickedness and we look and it seems as if God's lost control it seems like um, there are days when nothing can go right it seems like there are days and times when we have become so ineffective at, uh, ineffective at praying that we stop it seems like things won't get better anytime soon as we look at culture and we read the news and we see where we are 
can imagine that Daniel's probably feeling the same way. Daniel and his friends, so far in every chapter, their lives have been on the line, right? Like every chapter, they're being threatened some way. In every chapter, God comes through. It's as if God gives them just enough to get by in Babylon, but it seems that there's always something else just to ride around the corner. So Daniel chapter 4, God's going to remind us here, God's going to remind us that He is in complete control even when it seems that, that, that the powers that be are hostile, like the, like the government or the culture, even, even when it seems that these things are hostile towards Him, He's going to show that He's in complete control. In chapter 4, we're going to see a shift um, from, to King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is actually going to write chapter 4 from, from his perspective. Um, of, all, of all people, a pagan king is going to write of his um, perspective. And, and listen, up to this point, he has been extremely prideful. Okay? He's been extremely prideful. And we're going to see what God does and, and how God brings him. If you found chapter 4 of Daniel, if you'd stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word, um, we're going we're gonna to look at most of this chapter. Um, but for right now, we're just going to look at um, verses 34 through 37. <clears throat> it says, At the end of days, I... Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, now I Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right. and His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. So this, this text, it starts out with Nebuchadnezzar um, saying these things, right? Like, like, understand, Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy of God and His people. Okay? Like, like he's not a good guy. Like, like all the nations that, are, that, that he is invading, they're terrified of him because of his brutality. I mean, like, like Israel, as Nebuchadnezzar invades and he's about to take them to captivity as soon as he captures them and, and, and um, um, beats them in battle, um, Israel surrounds himself in Jerusalem, walls, walls them to the city. And, and at, at points they result to cannibalism because they would rather do that than, than, be, than have to face whatever Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to them. He is an evil man. I mean, think about it. In chapter 1, um, the, the chief guy over the, over the diet, he's worried that Nebuchadnezzar is going to cut off his head if he gives Daniel a salad rather than a steak. In chapter 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar threatens death for any who cannot tell him what he dreamed the night before and then tell him what that dream means. In chapter 3, he throws him into a fiery furnace. He doesn't just threaten him, he throws him into a fiery furnace. In chapter 3, he's got, he's got these huge mood swings, right? Where 
bow before my king or I'm going to throw you in the fire. At the end of chapter 3, it's like, maybe, maybe their king is, maybe their God is really king. It's like back and forth he goes, back and forth. You ever been around a person that's back and forth and like you've got to walk on eggshells because you don't know how they're going to respond? This is Nebuchadnezzar. But by chapter 4, God has brought this bad man, this bad prideful man. By the end of chapter 4, he's brought him to true repentance. Can I ask you, what's the bad in your life? Like some of it might be external, right? Like some of it, like it, like it could be culture, um, or it could be maybe a, maybe a prodigal son or daughter that that they're just giving you grief, or maybe it's an unbelieving spouse, or maybe it's an unbelieving parent. Um, maybe there's something external that's bad that's going on in your life, or maybe it's internal. Maybe it's your health, or maybe it's some sin that you're dealing with over and over and over again, and you're dealing with the consequences. Or maybe it's your finances. What's the bad in your life? And is there hope? See, the answer is yes. And we're going to see, we're going to see why we can have Christ-centered hope today in the middle of Babylon. You guys with me? Christ-centered hope. Here's why. Here's why we can have Christ-centered hope. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, we, we talk about God being sovereign, but we don't really know what that means, maybe. Um, here, here's what sovereignty is. Here's what God being sovereign means. It means exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said in the verses that we just read. He's in heaven and He does what pleases, what He pleases. The psalmist echoes this. Our God is in the heaven and He does what pleases Him. He does whatever He wants. Listen, our God is sovereign. He, he doesn't... He doesn't just sit back and say, oh, I wonder how it's going to turn out. Well, like our God is active in all things, moving, moving us in, in all directions, whichever He sees fit. He is sovereign. He, he's in control. He's above all things. Look at verse 1 with me. I'm chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Like, see, God, He, he intersects this evil king's life and He brings him to repentance. He, say, he says, I, I want you to see, I want you to understand what the Most High God has done for me. Now, let me tell you what He's done. We don't, we don't have time to read all this. I, I again, invite you to go home and and read this, but I'm going to summarize what comes next. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, right? You remember he had a dream in chapter 2? Well, he has another one. This guy dreams more than anybody I know. Alright? He's like probably drinking pickle juice and then a glass of milk right after that um, because he has these weird dreams. Okay? Here, here's the dream um, that, that he has. He says, in, in my dream, there was a tree, this great tree that grew up and it was um, it had branches and, and um, people could find shade underneath. You could, you could find security underneath the shade of this tree and it bore fruit um, for people to enjoy. And then someone stepped out of heaven and took an axe and cut this, this tree down and what was left was a stump. But it was bound. Like, like there was this, this chain on this stump. And then, and then there's just like this, this dew that comes up and all these wild animals and it's, it's crazy. And it, and it talks about how, how it affected him. Like he's worried about it. 
So he says, I remember when Daniel interpreted the dream in chapter 2. Maybe he can interpret this one as well. And so he calls Daniel. He tells him the dream. And Daniel says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what that dream means. You're the tree. You're powerful. Um, you got lots of branches. Pe- people can find shelter underneath you. But you're coming to an end. And God's going to see to that. He's going to cut you down. He's going to, there's a stump there that's going to be left because God's going to do something in you beyond that. But here's what's going to happen. God's going to drive you to madness. God in His sovereignty is going to drive you to madness. You're going to think you're an animal. You're going to eat grass rather than food. You're going to go crazy for a little while until you understand that He is the God. Look what happens in verse um, 27. Kind of a weird dream. Here's what Daniel says. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He warns Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, this is going to happen. You're not more powerful than the God of the universe. Than my God. Repent. Look what Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 28. He doesn't take him too seriously. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace. Okay, a year later, God gives me a year to repent. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you'll be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Craziness. Madness. God did this. So this man knew who he was. But, but see, Nebuchadnezzar saw God as working this plan to accomplish His glory. I mean, remember what it said in verse 32? Um, this is going to happen until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. So why, why was Nebuchadnezzar driven mad? Why was he driven to madness? Because God is sovereign. Why is Israel in captivity? Because God is sovereign. And as you look at our culture, why, why is there madness and wickedness? Why? Why is there all this going on? Is it because sin? Yes. But ultimately because God has allowed things to regress and He's ushering all things towards His return where He will reign supreme. You see, God goes to great lengths to accomplish His plan. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar. He goes to great lengths to accomplish His plan. Nothing is outside His hand. Nothing is outside His power. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great confidence to know that nothing in life today or tomorrow will happen to me 
that does not first pass through his hands. We can have hope today because he continues to be sovereign. He continues to work all things according to his plan. We can have hope today. We can have Christ-centered hope in Babylon because he is sovereign. Number two, here's why we can have hope. Here's why we can have hope. Because God's sovereignty is for the praise of His own name. God's sovereignty is for the praise of His own name. That means all the things He's doing, all the things that we see Him doing, all the things that He's doing behind the scenes that we don't see Him doing, all of it is for the praise of His name. Look at verse 3. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. How great are His signs. Like he, like like it's kind of it's kind of confusing a little bit because he starts out, like he, like he's writing after the fact. Like he starts out um, thanking God for what he's done in his life, and then it goes into the dream. It's like a flashback. It goes into the, these years of his madness, and then the end is him with his with his mind brought back to him and him praising God. Um, but but here's what he says at the beginning of the, of this chapter four: How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now jump down to verse 34 again with me. It says, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High in praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, everything that Nebuchadnezzar went through was ultimately for the praise of God. Now, now we've been conditioned not to think that way. Right? Like, like we've been conditioned to think of ourselves. Like, like we've been conditioned almost to the point that we think that God exists for us rather than us for Him. Let me show you. If I were to ask you, what does Psalm 46.10 say? You would say, if you had this memorized, you could say this with me. Be still and know that I am God. Right? That's what Psalm 46.10 says. But listen, um, we get the first half right. Did you know there's a, no, a whole other second half of that verse? And that text is not about you. It's not about you just sitting back and just, oh, I'm just going to know who God is. That's not what it's about. Like we put it on our coffee cup and we'd like to just sit there and reflect on that verse. Oh, just be still. Just be still. Just, just take it easy for a little bit and know He's God. But look what Psalm 46.10 actually says. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, the second part of this verse is what makes this whole verse. It's the point of the whole verse. The whole point is not to relax in God, but to know how powerful and mighty He is so that we can rest in the fact that He will be exalted. He cannot fail. He is God. You see, we limit, we limit it to just be still and know that I'm God. You see, there's a loss of hope because we've watered down Christianity to become about my needs and what I can get from God. We've boiled him down to some divine Santa Claus who exists to take care of our needs. 
Listen, when he when he's sovereign, when he sovereignly acts, it's for his praise. It's for his name. It's for his praise. See, all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us, we have been we have been created to gawk at things. Right? We've been created to gawk at things and to praise them. It's why you spend hundreds or thousands of dollars every year to, to fly or drive to some other part of the world and look at stuff. Right? Like we've been created to gawk at things. Like we went to the we went to Phoenix this, this year for the convention. We gawked at the Grand Canyon. And we just marveled at it. Right? We've been created for that. Like we've been created to see something and praise it. Like like football and, and listen. I, I got to preach at myself because I'm probably one of the worst. Like, like I'm, I've got some borderline issues with uh, with football, with college football, right? Like, like if my happiness rests on the fact um, of of how good or bad an 18 year old can throw a pigskin on a field, there's something there's something there, right? But listen, it's the fact that we're created to marvel and to be wrapped up in something that's bigger than us. Or what about this one? Every every man, every man loves to hear that he married up. Right? Like 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 um that that's what men men like that. It's like how'd you get her? Like she she's so beautiful and look at you. Now listen, ladies might might be different, but but guys, we don't get mad. We start we start jumping around, throwing high fives. I don't know, I don't know, but but, but I got her. It's as if some princess reached down and just snatched up a ghoul just because. Like 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 we like we like we like that. See, we're designed to glory in something and then to verbally praise it. And our hearts are happiest when we're around something that's bigger than us. It's like the, like the PhD, scientist man, education. Listen, you take him to Mount Everest and he's not talking about his degree. He's marveling at, what, at what's in front of him. That's, a, that's what we're designed to. We're created to seek glory and praise. And, and when God operates in His sovereignty, praise is directed at Him. One day, listen, one day because He's sovereign, one day He's coming back. And in that moment, every knee, whether you know Him or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And in that moment, He gets complete glory. Listen, every human being that ever has lived will bring Him glory in one of two ways. Either we will bring Him glory by being rescued and saved by Him, and He will be so glorious for rescuing us in our sinfulness, or we'll bring Him glory. Every human being will bring Him glory by by rejecting His Son. And when our lives are held up to Him and His perfection, how much more glorious will He look than us? He's sovereign in His sovereignty. It's meant to draw praise unto Himself. And for those who are in Him, listen, we hope in Him because He's working all things 
out for the praise of his name. Listen, even things you don't understand. When we prayed for the healing of our, of our little girl's heart and lungs, we had no idea that, it, that, the, that the flip side of that would be that she would lose her legs, the use of her legs. No, I had no idea. And listen, there's, there's questions that we have that we don't dwell on a whole lot because our ways are not God's. That we, don't, we can't understand. But the praise that he gets through the, this little girl, somehow it works out and it's okay for his praise. Because he's sovereign, he's sovereign, he acts, he works even when we don't understand even ways that we that seem hostile towards us, like, like what he sent Nebuchadnezzar through, is ultimately for him, for, for God to get praise, for his own name to be praised. But we can have hope because he's sovereign. We can have hope because that sovereignty that he's working is to bring praise to his name. And then number three, here's why we can have hope. We can have hope because His sovereignty is for our good if we're in Him. His sovereignty is for our good. When we're children of God, or, or when we will become children of God, listen, His sovereignty is for our good. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says, It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God, look, has done for me. Really? I mean, you look at Nebuchadnezzar's life, he's driven to madness. The man's eating grass. His hair's growing, he, he thinks he's an animal. And his description is, is he, he's trying to draw attention to what God has done, not to me, for me. How strange that even difficult even things that we don't understand, even what seems bad, how strange it is that to hear him say, God has done this for me. But where, we, where we moved from Sentinel, where I was pastoring before I came here, um, there was a lady um, that was, she, she had a brain tumor. Didn't look good. They, they had said probably a matter of months for her to live. She loved the Lord. Wasn't supposed to be that way. As I sat down and talked to her, here's what she said. God has given me a gift. Brain tumor? I don't, I don't, don't put me on your Christmas list if that's, if that's what you think gifts are. God has given me a gift to appreciate every day I'm given. And He's going to walk with me through this to the very end. What a perspective. Sovereignty of God is, is for our good, even when it doesn't feel like it. But look what, look what happens in verse 36. He says, look, I want to tell you what God has done for me. Now look at verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor return to me 
And I don't get the impression he's saying this in prideful like he was before. You know, he's walking on the kingdom. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. This kingdom, all this, this is because of me. Now as he's talking about things returning to him, majesty and splendor, he's got the right perspective on it. That's God's behind all this. This is my counselors. My Lord sought me. I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor, not myself, but the King of heaven. For all his works are right. His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. For see, we see here that God's glory and our, and our good are inseparable. So listen, we've, we've got a hole in us, right? We've got a hole where we long to see something, where we long to be awed by something, where we long to be wrapped up in something and to praise it with our lips. But listen, the only thing that can fill a human heart completely is the glory of God filling it up through Jesus Christ. That's, what he's, that's the realization He's coming to. And what happens to the heart is it becomes joyful when it's filled with the glory of God. See, God's glory and our joy are inseparable. And any time we make life about something other than His glory, we walk down a path of destruction. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar. Life is about anything but His glory. We walk down a path of destruction will bring us back from. It's just a matter of how much we're going to have to go through before we get back. It's kind of like Jonah, right? God sends this massive storm as he's running. And the storm is not his judgment. The storm is his mercy as he does not allow Jonah to run any farther and brings him back. It's for, his, it's for Jonah's glory, God's glory. For Jonah's good, it's for God's glory. It's for Nebuchadnezzar's good that all this happens. Now Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it, it talks about all creation is moving towards Christ's return and the restoration of all things and where the earth will be filled with His glory. And Habakkuk 2, 14 says that on that day, His glory will cover the earth like, like water covers the sea. Okay, and you say, well, how, how does water cover the sea? It's everywhere. That's what's going to happen with God's glory. He's ushering His return to where His glory will be everywhere. And it's going to be glorious for those who know Him. You see, His sovereignty is for the good of those who know Him. And those who live lives for His glory flourish. Flourish. And part of the teaching in our culture today, from part of the Christian teaching in our culture today, says that, you're flirt, that, that the reason you flourish is because you do good and then God rewards you. And as long as you're doing good, God's going to reward you. Nothing bad is going to happen. But once you start doing something bad, He's going to pour, he's going to pour wrath out on you. I mean, something bad is going to happen. So as long as you're a good boy, you get good things. As long as you're a bad boy, you get bad things. But the flourishing that Scripture describes is better. Because it's not based on your circumstance. Flourishing that Scripture describes as God is sovereign and that sovereignty is for the good of His kids leaves us saying, you can take my health, you can take my wealth, you can take everything from me. Give me Jesus and I'll have joy. So much better. 
How good of a God is He? The one thing that can never be taken away from us, He lets us keep. Which is his, his, Him, Himself. The Bible ends with, with something to look forward to as Christ returns. And in, in, in this, the Bible, Scripture describes itself as an event called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. And you can read about that in Revelation. And listen, I want you to just try to imagine with me um, the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. Okay, the, the, the Wedding, the, the, the Supper of the Lamb. Okay, I want you to imagine this with me. Because all the people we're reading about here that trusted in Christ, listen, they're going to be there. I mean, listen, it's going to be, it's going to be cool be able to sit down next to Daniel, right? Like we're we're stuck, we're reading the we're gonna be cool to sit down and hear him talk about it. Right? Like, can you imagine what like Peter and John are gonna say? They're gonna say, um, yeah, Jesus told us that we'd be arrested, and so whenever he was crucified, we all ran because we were scared to death. But in his sovereignty, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. That made us bold. And listen, we didn't know if we could do it or not, but when they did arrest us and they beat us we were able to celebrate in joy because of His sovereignty that filled us with life from the filling of His Spirit. We could celebrate that we were counted worthy to suffer for His name. He suffered. Paul's going to say, yeah, I was going to arrest them fools when God showed up in a bright light on the road to Damascus. And He's so sovereign that He wouldn't let me. He wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me take another step before I gave my life, before I fell down on my face and gave my life. He's so sovereign. We're going to get to hear stories um, about these guys. We're going to hear Augustine, who on, on the night the barbarians surrounded his city to sack it and set it on fire and kill all, he was able to write how good and how sweet the presence of the Lord is, even in the midst of everything we're facing. And then Luther's going to talk about. God's sovereignty. Did you know that Tuesday is 500 years since the Reformation? If you don't know what the Reformation is, go, go look that up. Because, we're, because we're, we're here, we're doing things the way we are doing them. Because someone said, we don't have to do anything to earn salvation. We don't have to have anybody tell us what the Bible says. We can read it ourselves. He said they were ready to lie, lie to light a fire with me. But God in His sovereignty and because of the joy of His presence. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. But when the moment came, I said, I'm not taking anything back. He's faithful. Jonathan Edwards is going to say, there was a group of ladies where I was doing a revival and they stayed up all night praying. And the next day as he got up to preach, the hand of God fell. And the world hasn't seen a revival like it since. Billy Graham's going to say, here's what Billy Graham has said. I've got one question when I get to God. Really, it turns out to be two questions. He says, I've got, I've got one question I'm going to ask God. Why me? Why just a country boy? The greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. Recognizes God in his sovereignty. And the joy with following Him and being on board with His plan. But see, guys, then the then it's going to turn to us. What, what about you and me? What do we get to talk about? 
Like when it's our turn, what happens when it comes to us? What are we going to say? We had the nicest building in town. I never drank a beer or watched pornography. I can just imagine the Apostle Paul being like, what? That's your story? I gave $100 once to missions. What are we really about? Us or Him? What's our pursuit? Us or Him? Whose glory do we pursue? His or ours? Because to taste Him is to not recover from Him. So the question becomes, if His sovereignty is for our good, how do we enjoy it? Well, here, here, this, here's how it doesn't happen. It's not like this. It's not like us picking up a little, our little tea glass. I'm going to put them down. He's so good. Here we go. We're going to put them, we're going to put them down. Right? Um, you know, I can, you want some more? No, i got to drive home. I can't, I, can't, I can't have him affect me or change me too much. We just sip a little bit of him. I tell you the way that we enjoy him is to grab the bucket and go gunk, 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 gunk. Because to taste him is to be satisfied with nothing but him. What, what's better? What's better than Christ? Nothing in life. Not, he's, he's good. That stuff over there is good too. I'll take a sip of God, but I want to route 44 of that over there. You steal His glory and you rob yourself of joy. We bring Him glory by enjoying Him and His sovereignty as He moves this way or He moves this way. And it doesn't always come, turn out the way we think it should. But we trust Him. We have hope in Him. Because we know that He's sovereign. We know He's working His plan. We know that that plan is going to bring Him glory. And we know ultimately that that plan is for our good. And my hope today is that you've caught a whiff of what's at the table and it makes us salivate. And my hope, my hope is that you're reminded of how good the, t- the cup tasted. Maybe it's made you hungry to pursue more. He is sovereign. He's working things for His praise. That's ultimately good for those who know Him. So we can hope in Him today. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. And God, one of the, the hardest things that we will wrestle with His circumstances that we go through, wondering where you are, wondering why you're not changing things the way we ask you to. God, may we be like Nebuchadnezzar. Through all the things that he went through, he's able to glorify you saying, I praise you because of what you've done for me. God, we can have hope because you're sovereign. You're working things towards an end. One day we're not going to get sick. One day we're not going to have to say goodbye. One of these days we're not going to hurt. One of these days we're not going to give in to sin. Thank you that you're that you're ushering everything towards your return. God, for today, 
may your name be lifted up in our lives. Because we know that's for your good, for your praise, and for our joy. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.